this is Base Layer, brought to you by Arca. I'm your host, David Nage. This is Base Layer, where institutional investors come to learn about crypto. Welcome back to Base Layer. This is David, and this is your new episode with Stefan from Numerai. Numerai was founded in 2015 building a blockchain-based hedge fund that utilizes artificial intelligence and crowdsourced stock market predictions. The platform relies on a monthly machine learning and data science tournament where users, primarily data scientists, can submit trading algorithms about the stock market. Numerai then employs artificial intelligence algorithms to analyze the predictions, and the best are included in Numerai's meta model, which combines all the underlying inputs on which it will trade the stock market. This was a super interesting conversation. Again, this is another one recorded from Voices of Blockchain. And so this is a live recording with Stefan. We had a great conversation and there are some similarities and some obvious differences between projects like Augur. And we talked about that. And, but the idea of the wisdom of the crowd and how good the overall output is, is when the overall inputs are. And we talked about weeding and we talked about how they're doing this and how they're thinking about reinventing the hedge fund. So remember, nothing on base layer is investment advice, so please do your own research. And on the flip side, you're going to hear a great conversation with Stefan from Numerai. Enjoy. This is David, and this is your new episode of base layer. I'm with Stefan from Numerai. How are you doing, Stefan? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me. So this is a live and in-demand podcast recording right now for Base Layer. We are at the Voices of Blockchain in Chicago. And so Numerai is a project I've been watching for a long time um, and really curious about what you guys are doing there now. There's a new uh, element that you've added that we're going to talk about called Erasure. Um, Numerai was founded around 2015, if I'm not mistaken, to almost rethink the way hedge funds are, are done these days, especially really focusing on the data aspects. And there's a game or a tournament involved where people are effectively you know, looking at data and working with that. So if you could, what we'd like to do is before we get too heavily into Numerai, into the project itself, more about you. How did you get into the space? Um, I don't necessarily want the Bitcoin origin story. You know, everyone talks about 2011, 2012, but thinking backwards, what really inspired you about blockchains, about the innovation that was really underpinning all of this? What got you excited? How did you come about into it? And then we'll talk more about Numerai. Sure. So uh, there's a concept that's talked to quite often in the space, which is social scalability. Uh, it's the idea that, you know, we have built systems. Uh, in our everyday lives that allow us to coordinate together and work together towards some kind of common goal and our society is sort of constructed with, uh, with a lot of these. But a lot of these systems are limited from the fact that they require a lot of trust and like social interactions. So you and I are speaking face to face, which is great because we build this sort of bond of trust, but it doesn't scale very well because there's only so many people in the world I'm able to talk to face to face. Um, so what if there, we were able to build these other systems that allowed us to uh, cooperate with people that we've never actually got the chance to meet face to face because they take all the trust out of uh, the design of the system. So this concept of social scalability is sort of what applies into any uh, DAO construct, right? Where you're saying, great, there's this platform that I can participate in and due to the incentive mechanisms that are inherent to it, um, I don't need to sort of rely on these trust-based agreements. Right. Um, so the, the sort of concept of wanting to be 
or being able to build some of these is, is really what uh, attracted me to this space. Um, there was a lot of hype around the DAO back in 2016. Let's talk about that. What is the DAO? Sure. So the DAO was this uh, experiment, I would say, on Ethereum, which uh, allowed people to coordinate around fund uh, allocation. And a lot of uh, the space put all of their ETH into this fund that was supposed to distribute it out to community projects uh, on, a, on a need basis. Um, unfortunately, what ended up happening is that there was a vulnerability in the way that the software was written and uh, it ended up being attacked and the funds being drained and then that caused the Ethereum, Ethereum Classic fork. Um, but at the same time, it sort of put Ethereum on the map as this project where there's a lot of real value being stored. Um, and for me, it was a signal, right, this is a platform where there's a lot of potential, but there's also um, a lot of work that needs to be done to make sure that the, the software is, is written properly. Right. So let's get back to Numerai. So this notion of a blockchain-based hedge fund that relies monthly on a machine learning and data science tournament. Mm -hmm. How do you get people involved on that? How do you incentivize them? What does that look like? Because for family offices and other institutional investors who are listening to this, they've been allocating to traditional hedge funds for years. For sure. What are you trying? What problem are you trying to solve? We the the sort of vision behind Numerai is that this has a potential to be the last hedge fund, right? In many ways, there isn't a good reason why there's 10,000 hedge funds in the US. Um, they're all sort of competing at the same game, which is the allocation of money. The, the master plan that we're going for is that first we want to monopolize all the data, then we can monopolize the intelligence based off this platform that we've built. Once we have that, we monopolize all the capital and then we decentralize the monopoly because we're able to allocate it fairly to everyone that's participating in the system. Um, the way that it ends up looking like in, in reality is that we have this uh, auction mechanism that's built on top of Ethereum where we have data scientists around the world who participate on this uh, tournament on a weekly basis. Um, these aren't people who you know want to go work on Wall Street. They're data scientists that work at places like NASA and they're able to participate on the weekend in sort of this pure machine learning based competition. How do they find you or do you find them? It's we've had a lot of organic growth. We've sort of uh, because it was quite new and, and something that people hadn't really experienced before. Um, we sort of spread through the circles of machine learning enthusiasts around the world. A lot of them have meetups and whatnot. Um, and so this was sort of a natural place for us to be discussed. Um, because we're not sort of a permissive platform, but we're very open, it was super simple for anyone to give their, their try, give a hand at, at participating in the platform. I think that helped us grow a lot. So let's talk about Erasure. So a new protocol, effectively. Mm -hmm. um, and so there's a few different pieces to it. What is Erasure? And then I want to hear more about Erasure Quant and Erasure Bay. Sure. Yeah. Erasure came from what we learned building Numerai. Um, Numerai was built sort of as an experiment of let's see if this entire you know system product works. Um, what we learned is that there's some core primitives that are really enabled by the fact that we're using blockchain technology that allow us to build that kind of application. Um, but it's not something that only us are able to use. It's something that can be generalized into more of a protocol that other teams are able to use and build on top of as well. So Razor is about taking those components and building them out to be extensible and flexible for other applications as well. Three of them, 
So the first one is recourse. That's about uh, saying that when people have skin in the game, they produce much better data, much better predictions. So it allows for people to stake and burn based off of the predictions that they make. The second primitive is called track record. And that's about saying that if you timestamp your history of actions or activity on top of a blockchain, it's much easier for someone to come in and trust you if you say you've had two years of record um, because your trend will be to continue that, that record as opposed to you know, be able to sacrifice it. Right. Um, and then the final one, which is payments. So this is about being able to do programmable escrows and say, if I'm going to buy some predictions from me, I want the, pr the payment to be locked up but trickled to you over time. So I want to lock it up in some kind of escrow. So we had Joey on a few months ago and we talked a lot about Augur as a prediction market. What's the difference or is there similarities between Augur? It's a question that we get a lot. Um, it's, it is so, somewhat of a subtle difference, which is somewhat just in the order of the words. You have prediction markets and then you have prediction marketplaces. Um, the prediction marketplaces are sort of on a peer-to-peer -peer basis instead of trading with some kind of centralized liquidity pool where you're trading on both sides of a, of a, an event essentially in this case you're saying here i've been predicting the price of bitcoin for example for the last two years i have a feed of predictions if you want to buy the feed from me then we can engage and we have sort of a standard service level agreement where we say uh, i will provide this to you uh, every day for the next couple months and this is my fee um, so it is a bit of a, a different structure where you have a more of a general uh, generic marketplace approach to it um, the nice thing about it is that it does generalize to arbitrary data so we mentioned a little bit um, Erasure Quant and Erasure Bay, right? So Erasure Quant is an application that we've built with these same primitives, which allows for uh, people who predict the Russell 3000 stock prices to go to this uh, application and make these predictions. Um, it's also built on the Erasure protocol and it allows these users to build a track record of their predictions. Uh, they're rewarded when they stake uh, with our token NMR um, and then if they are sort of not good at making their predictions, then they get punished for it. Um, and then Erasure Bay is sort of a greater abstraction of it, where it's a marketplace for any type of arbitrary data. So it doesn't just need to be a specific application like predicting the Russell 3000, but it could be listing information of any kind. So one of the conversations that we had with Joey back when we had a deep conversation about Augur is that the wisdom of the crowd you know, with prediction markets, you're basically relying on this notion of the wisdom of the crowd. Um, you know, the inputs going in are only as good as the inputs that are going out. So all of those quants, all of those, you know, highly touted, you know, data scientists that you guys have, do you, do you ever fear or do you have any mechanisms to make sure, you know, of a bias issue? If there is some sort of, you know, kind of data bias, is there a way, you mentioned, you know, if, you know, one of them is not necessarily, you know, reliable that there's, you know, obviously probably, you know, if you're staking, then that stake probably gets burned. Are those the kind of mechanisms that you have in place to kind of make sure that everything is copacetic? Yeah. So bias in quant uh, research is a huge issue. Um, that's because a lot of the times you know the data that you're predicting on and you already have preconceived perceptions of what it is you're trying to get out of your model. Um, and so in the model creation process, it really influences the way that you sort of fit it. Um, you're going to hear the word overfitting floating around a lot in these circles of, of research. Um, we, we recently announced that Marcos de Prado is 
joining our board of advisors as our scientific advisor. And a lot of his research focuses on how do we actually reduce biases in the quant research uh, process. Um, the ability to obfuscate the data that we're submitting to our data scientists prevents uh, these biases from being introducing introduced from the start because they have no choice but to treat this as a pure machine learning problem. Right. Um, and so if they don't know what they're predicting, they don't have necessarily any preconceptions of how the markets work, for them it's just a classification problem. And then by aggregating across all of our users, we make sure that we uh, reduce as much bias as human impossible. And I think it's interesting. I think you talk about the philosophies and you talk about skin in the game. Is that basically the stake? That is the stake. That's right. That's right. So um, we don't force all of our users to have a stake but we found through sort of the last three years that we've been running this tournament that the ones that do have a stake end up giving us much better predictions and you know, it makes sense if they have something to, to lose then they'll put a lot more effort into it uh, it's quite a simple primitive to have and it's something that we haven't seen many other applications try to you know incorporate into their into building their applications and something that we really want to encourage people to do. Is it a delegated proof of stake, a bonded proof of stake? What type of proof of stake model is it? I don't know that it sort of fits into any of those sort of constructs that a lot of the blockchains talk about yeah. because the stake is fully about their own performance. They're betting on themselves. They're not betting on the performance of any of anyone else. So they're saying, great, I've done some testing on my model. I've ran all my you know validation that I could. Here's what I think my accuracy is going to be. And then if they beat the accuracy threshold that they've set for themselves, we reward them. If they don't, then we don't. We burn them. It's interesting. So in traditional finance, you have you know tools out there like a Bloomberg, where you look at the Apple stock and you look at the analysts that cover it. And there's usually a chart where it basically shows a deviation from where the actual earnings per share was to what the analyst was expecting it to be. Hmm. And then effectively, you can start you know, performing kind of almost analysis to the point where you say, okay, analyst X, analyst A, and analyst 2 were really on par and they knew what they were doing. Their numbers were, were spot on. And so those are the ones I'm going to start following going forward. Is that kind of the way it's going to, you think of it going forward, you know, with this kind of futuristic hedge fund where people will just be able to kind of really focus on those ones that are always on, you know, really target? I think it, there is some kind of weighing there, right? So we have this concept of a meta model, which takes in a lot of the data that we have on the performance of these data scientists and it sort of creates an abstraction that actually informs where the trade predictions go. Um, whether that's just about the single individual's performance is sort of already introducing more risk. So there's always an advantage of adding different models because inherently some models are going to focus more on some sections of the market whereas others will focus on on other sections of the market so in that weighting you know with traditional proof of stake models there's the oracle there's the validator there's usually different sliding scales and it's basically economic mm -hmm. you know if someone stakes more they get to be a higher threshold in a proof of stake model is that so with this weighting that you're talking about, is it based on kind of performance? Is that how they get into different ranks on in the kind of the staking model? Yeah, um, we, we sort of talk about a concept of reputation internally, which is sort of a mix of the amount that's been at stake, how long they've been participating in the competition, what's their historical accuracy been. Uh, and so there's this sort of abstract metric that we can build using all the inputs that are available to us. And that, that's being fed into the meta model. That's where I was going with it. Yeah. So it's so interesting. You know, this idea, and how do you actually, when someone validates himself, you know, I've been having this interesting kind of conversation about validating oneself on blockchains. 
Um, how do you actually go through reputation and, and validating someone? Is it just by, by stake? Is it that purely it? Or is there other models or other things that you're looking at in terms of validating oneself? There's a lot that goes into it, right? I mean, reputation is also about behavior. Uh, if there's someone that's acting consistently or erratically or clearly trying to game the system, these are all things that we need to identify and be able to filter out appropriately. So there's a part of it that's actually just even chain analysis and like machine learning based of behavior analysis uh, that we need to do to filter those things out. Awesome. So one of the things that we like to do, um, aside from all of the, the good bits that we just learned about Numerai and Erasure, We'd like to learn a little bit about you. Sure. Um, so if anyone who's listening to the show knows, there are two inputs that we put into our brain on a pretty much regular basis. Hopefully you are not so filled with ones and zeros that you actually get to read a little bit outside of crypto. But if you don't, anything that you've read recently that really resonated with you, it could be a book, it could be something you've read on Medium, anything that really resonated with you. And it could be crypto or non-crypto. And then music. So with music, it's something that is very personal. There's usually, you know, we've had people like Jeremy from Casa who said that he likes metal, um, which is, you know, not something that you would have expected. And then there are people who say they like electronica and people who like classical. So anything that you've read recently that kind of really stuck with you and any kind of music that you listen to either while you're working or traveling. And I've just blown Stefan's mind part. <laughs> I know the answer for the music. Sure, let's so, start with that. Um, a coworker introduced me to an artist uh, called Akira the Dawn recently, and he produces music called Meaning Wave. Meaning so he takes podcasts just like this one, and then he remixes them with some electronic music, but it's meant to be inspirational. Wow. And um, it's been sort of incredible to be able to listen to these. The production value is really, really great. Um, and it sort of gives people uh, an input into new ways of thinking because it's sort of the gateway that gets them to listen to more podcasts, learn about new ideas, I and it's it. been really, really nice. Um, on the book front, I have to think about it a little bit. Okay. So obviously, Stefan is really busy with Numerai, so he's not getting many opportunities to read outside of crypto. That's just because this project is something that a lot of people are talking about. I'm sure there's something. I have to check my app. Uh, okay. We are going in real time to Stefan's app for books. If you use uh, Goodreads. I do uh, use Goodreads. I store all my reads on there. Yeah, I was Here's the one that I'm, oh, I'm quite happy about. It's called Blueprint. Blueprint. The Evolutionary Origins of a Good Society. Ooh. Um, it talks a lot about these different constructs that uh, societies have sort of experimented with since the dawn of coordination um, and what has worked and what hasn't worked. How come you know, we live in a monogamous society? What's the importance of the construct of marriage? Are there alternatives that you know, people have been exploring with uh, and, and experimented with? Are communes sort of a way that you can scale? Um, and it dives into each of these topics and sort of explains where experiments have been successful, where experiments have not been successful. And it's been really interesting to see, are there any of these that you can sort of replicate in an online-based community? Or are these sort of purely reliant on social interactions that are face-to-face. -face. That is awesome. I'm really, yeah, I'm, I'm downloading <laughs> after. That is something that's really up my alley. Um, the last thing that we'd like to do with guests is have them, you know, kind of give people a point where they can go and learn more about Numerai, how they can get involved. Um, and so go ahead and tell them where they can go. Sure. So if you're a physicist or you love math, 
or you work as a data scientist, you have to go check out numer.ai, N-U-M-E-R.ai. Um, that's where the competition lives. If you're a developer and you want to build new kinds of applications, look up the Erasure protocol. That's going to give you all the tooling that you need to build these, uh, these world-changing websites. Awesome. So this was Stefan and Numerai. Thank you so much for stopping by today, Voices of Blockchain. And everyone, check out their, their website and learn more about the tournaments. Again, thank you, Stefan. Wicked. Thank you so much. Cheers. For more notes from this past episode about our guest, please go to www.ar.ca slash baselayer. Nothing stated on this podcast should be taken as investment advice, which would require a thorough assessment of each investor's personal financial profile and risk tolerance. Statements regarding past performance are not necessarily indicative of future returns. If you like what you're listening to on Baselayer, let us know. Subscribe, give us a like, or hit us up on Twitter, Arca at Arca, or myself, David Nage at DavidJN79. Let us know, and we'd love to obviously hear from you. For additional resources to help sophisticated listeners like yourself learn about the digital asset space in the financial terms you understand, please visit www.ar.ca for articles, marketing commentary, videos, and more.